podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitt. Today, we are previewing what can only be described as a dominant victory for the Kansas Jayhawks to move to 5-1 and one on the season for the second straight year in a row to help me Break that down and kind of take a look at what all this means in the Big 12 and moving forward for the Jayhawks is, of course, joins me every uh, Tuesday here on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Kyle Davis, my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, how you doing today? What a difference a week makes, right? Yeah, we seriously. Monday talking compared to, to right now. Yeah. What, the, what uh, a difference a week of prep makes because you can point just as much to Jason Bean not being ready for that game against Texas because he literally was told he was starting at most an hour before the game started. So, um, look, Jason, like, let's, let's just start there because Jason Bean, he did not have spectacular passing numbers. He only threw for 91 yards. Um, but he did everything that you would have expected from him coming into this game. And obviously I think the running game had a whole lot to do with it, but what what is your biggest takeaway about this team coming from that game? Well, if we're sticking with Jason Bean, it's that he doesn't have to do more than that if everything else is working the way it is. And to give him credit, he still there are a couple third down passes he needed to make. I'm, I'm specifically remembering one to Trevor Cardell right over the middle uh, on like a third and six that kept a driver alive around midfield, and he he had a couple of those. And so I, I think you this is what. You know, you can tell, honestly, we saw like John Reese Plumley. it was the same thing. You know, they thought he was going to go. He couldn't very early on. Timmy McLean was thrown back in. Now he's had a lot of, um, he had had a lot of uh, starts recently with Plumley being out, but you could see just without that, un- like when you're not prepared all week to think that you're going to be the guy to play, then to get thrown out there on the second drive or whatever it is, it's a big undertaking and and it took him a really long time to warm up. And it was after the game was well out of hand. So you can see why you know, Jason Bean was behind the eight ball against Texas. Now, Kotelnicki tailored the entire offensive game plan around what worked best, which is run the ball down, then make it so that once they're bailing out the run, Jason Bean has a little more open windows to throw. He did a good job of, <clears throat> you know, you, you saw that there's a little less, well, one, the offensive line did a great job of protecting him. So there was less that he was having to roll out. He wasn't making those sideline throws anymore. And he still came up big when he needed to. And and that's really all you need. If if Jason Bean can complete seven, 65 to 70% of his passes, you know, throw for, again, this one was a, a little bit weird because it was the, the running game is not going to be as dominant as it was, you know, in every single game. But if he can, he can throw for 150 or 200 yards, not turn the ball over, and and he didn't even really run the ball that well. That's really all you need when everything else is working like it has been for the Jayhawks, especially the run game, but also just the offensive line protection, the defense. That was about as what as good as you can ask for when you have a, a backup quarterback in there is make life easy on them. Don't make them have to do too much. And you could tell Jason Bean did not have to do too much, and all of his throws were within the the design of the offense. Nothing was really rushed. rushed. He was never really in, in a spot where – it was a must, you know, third down and 12 pickup. Um, now, it's not going to be that easy every time. But he also, I don't think, you know, Jason Bean did not show you the full extent of his capabilities there either. He didn't have to do too much. He can do more if you needed to. But, man, when you have an offensive line that's playing like that and you've got a running game attack and it's not just one guy, and I know we'll get to, is like that, 
makes it real easy for a backup quarterback to just say, I do not have to do too much. I don't have to force a single thing. I'm going to make these easy pitch and catches and we're going to be able to, to be in really good shape. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny too, because like you got into the fourth quarter and Kansas was far enough ahead that they did not need to throw the rest of the game. So that naturally is going to kind of hold down his passing numbers. But, you know, you talked about how he wasn't making those sideline throws. I actually, he, you know, and, and I made a comment about this during the first half is like, the very first thing that Jason Bean did in this game was kind of go and show that I was wrong about that because he made a fantastic throw to Luke Grimm on the sideline as he was rolling out to the left and was able to throw across his body to Luke Grimm on the left sideline. So I think he showed that he had the capability of doing those things. And, and what we saw last week was very much more of a, he just doesn't have, he just does not have that uh, rapport or he didn't have the rapport for that particular game with his receivers because, again, he hadn't practiced them all week long. Um, so, you know, again, I'm not really necessarily that concerned about Jason Bean. Yes, he's better in general when he can throw to the middle of the field, but he can make those sideline throws if he absolutely has to. You just can't count on them with the same level of consistency that Jalen Daniels has. But I think Jason Bean put a lot of his doubters to rest, and the, the people that are still doubting him at this point are those that don't want to believe that he's actually a pretty good quarterback. So, um Jason Bean did absolutely fantastic, but what I really learned from this is that this is a, I mean, this is an elite Kansas rushing attack, which we've been talking about it all year long about how this is a really good running team. And, um, but to see what Devin Neal did against, you know, granted, UCF has an absolutely atrocious rushing defense. Like they, you know, gave up 250 something yards to DJ Giddens of Kansas State, who, you know, hasn't had a performance like that since, um, and really hadn't had a performance like that before. So, you know, they gave up a ton of rushing yards to Baylor. Um, and it's just this UCF defense has some very significant issues that I think are even deeper than, than a lot of us. But anytime you get 400 yards rushing, you're obviously doing something right. The fact that you have two different guys that have two different styles and then a guy in Dylan McDuffie who almost got 100 yards of his own as the third string backup that basically he got two, two drives worth of plays and he got a ton of yards on all of those. Kansas has some really good running backs, and it's really hard. You mentioned during the game in our live blog talking about how Kansas may have two of the top 25 backs nationally um, in Devin Neal and, and Daniel Hyshaw. I mean, I would say they have two of the top five running backs in the Big 12 for sure. I'm not really sure, though, like if that's going to hurt them, you know, come postseason awards time because you have two really good guys on the same team and they might end up splitting votes. Which is yeah, but but if you're if you're a player or a fan, you take that for the on field results. And oh that's yeah, for sure. But but that's something we've seen. Like Kansas is 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 no shortage of having good running backs. I mean, e- even in the in the dark days, you know, whether it's Tony Pearson or or you know uh, John Cornish, or there's been plenty of really good guys. Uh, what what we see here is we, I don't think we I don't think Kansas has ever been two or three deep like this and at least not for a really long time until maybe like the the Brandon McAnderson Jake Sharp days of of the Mangino era like the and and I think it also speaks to across the board what we're seeing which is that we talked about this for forever Kansas the last decade had a couple of really good players and there was zero depth behind them and you've seen that what's what Leipold has done is he's really filled out the depth I mean we watched. You mentioned Dylan McDuffie. He was running behind basically that they put the second team offensive line in there with about what the seven or eight minutes left in the game. 
and all, and they still were getting excellent push and looking really good. Like you can go on the defensive side of the ball. There's just depth everywhere where there wasn't depth before. And I think where you're seeing that the most is on the offensive line and the running attack. And that's so much more dangerous when you don't have just one guy you have to stop and plan around for, or who's having an off day or, or nicked up or something like that. Like the fact that, that there's three of them who can, I mean, Kansas averaged almost eight yards, uh, a rush, with five different runners. And that's with Jason Bean only getting 1.7 yards per carry. I mean, you had Devin Neal's averaging 13 yards a carry, which is insane for this game. And then you put in your third stringer and he's still getting seven yards a carry. Like it's, it's incredible what they've been able to do. Uh, the offensive line still, I don't think gets enough credit both for the run offense and also just for protecting Bean um, and Daniels when he's been out there and, and not giving up sacks. But there's just so much depth to it. There's a lot of really talent. I mean, that again, yeah, Neil and Heishall are two of the best 30 in the country, I would think. And and higher than that, Neil, I still think is top 10 at least. Um, and I watch a lot of college football. I don't see a lot of guys doing what he's able to do. Uh, and the b- beauty of it is that the downside is, yes, you kind of you might not have one guy who's going to get up all the awards, but he's also not have he doesn't have to be a workhorse who's going to have get 300 carries by the time you get into a bowl game. And then he's going to be completely worn down. Like, I mean, he's Devin Neal gets 10 to 15 carries a game and gets 150 yards and a touchdown. And, and it's really nice for just not only health, but also just, um, you know, the spryness and the athleticism and the, I, you know, you don't get worn down in November and December when you really need it, when you aren't having to run your one guy 25 times a game, you know, just to get 160 yards. So it's the depth over around, like, obviously there's a ton of talent, but the, the depth of that talent is something that just, we have not seen in such a long time. Yeah. I mean, like I would say guys like Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert were on the roster at the same time, but not having those sorts of, right. you know, yeah. years at the same time and either because of injuries or just not being able to, you know, like Puka Williams would have a game and then Khalil Herbert would have a game. They wouldn't have a game at the same time like this one. But, you know, I think I kind of think kind of to your point, the other thing that having this depth does is allow you to those guys can make big pushes at the end of the year for those types of awards and for the team to really kind of impress at the end of the year, because you don't have to worry about them being as worn down. They're going to have those more impressive performances in, you know, fresh in people's minds as it comes time to be voting for these sorts of things. So I think that's going to be helpful for them. Um, rest of the offense wise, I don't know that there's a ton actually to talk about because it was so much running. And I think there's only so much you can say about this running team when UCF is as bad as they are defensively. But, um, Let's let's flip over really quick to the other the you know the other score that we had, which was that Trevor Wilson, eighty two yard or eighty three yard, depending on who you talk to, punt return for a touchdown at the end of the first half. That was just absolutely phenomenal. It was completely electric. I know that you were kind of on your way home during the first half. Did you actually get to see that one live, or did you have to go back and watch highlights? I did see that one live. Yeah. Like uh, he went to go catch that. And I was just ball. like, what are you doing? Like I thought he had called for a fair catch. And then I realized that he hadn't and saw the guy that was like two yards away from him that I guess thought he had called for a fair catch as well. But like, that was just ridiculous to watch him take off and then weave his way in through all of that traffic and get that touchdown. And, and I'm pretty sure actually I saw Terrence Samuel, who's the receivers coach, I think tweeted after the game. Uh, right. Good glad you, glad you didn't listen to me. Yeah. Fair catch. Cause that, yeah, that is one where that is, that is the epitome of a no, 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 no. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, play because that is you, especially just with fun. Like, yeah, you, that is a, 
you fumble that ball or you get stuck deep and that can be a complete momentum shift. But then he, you know, his turn of direction, making guys miss that, that just completely broke the game open and probably deflated UCF spirits even more than, than it was before. And so, yeah, that was a um, credible ind- uh, uh, individual performance. There was a very near block in the back that I'm glad that just, he. I don't, I can't remember who it was, but kind of turned his body and, and didn't, fully extend his arms enough. So I'm glad that that didn't get brought back, but that is a, um, that is an absolutely monumental flip in terms of momentum. And just that really put it away, especially when you consider it was at the end of the first half, Kansas got the ball to start of the second half uh, just from a, you know, from a morale standpoint, UCF was already had to be kind of beaten up by the Baylor result last week. Plus their, their quarterback ended up, not being able to go. Uh, and so, yeah, what a what an individual play there. That one's going to be on all the uh, highlights at the end of the year for sure. Well, and then let's not also forget, Kenny Logan almost returned one to the house as well. He got tripped up by his own player yeah. hurtling, yeah. Um, which afterwards, you know, heard heard about how bad he felt. Uh, you know, he was trying to get back up and help block more and didn't realize that Logan was trying to jump over him at the time. Um, otherwise, that one would have gone back to the house as well. If he had gotten cleared there, there's only one guy to beat, and he was not in a very good position at all for it. So Kansas almost had two return touchdowns on the day. Just a phenomenal performance by the special teams. You finally got your first field goal miss of the season from Seth Keller on a chip shot field goal. That that, that entire sequence is just a little weird. But I'm um, glad to see that the special teams is no longer the huge liability that used to be. Um, and then, of course, we have to talk about the defense. I mean, look at what this defense did. Um, what was the thing that stood out to you the most from the defensive performance? Uh, oof, there are so many things. I mean, I think Austin Booker continues to look like an amazing pickup coming over from Minnesota. I love if, if we're talking about individuals, I love seeing Taiwan Barry Hill back. I know he's been battling a lot of injuries. He had a great game. Yeah, and he got a sack uh, in, in that game as well. He got a sack in there. I think, you know, it was... It wasn't until the game was really out of reach that, you know, RJ Harvey broke a 53 yard run that really boosted up their running numbers. They, I think it was, I think saw something like they, you know, UCF got 45 yards in the first five plays and then they got eight total yards on their next nine plays. Like the, the defense was just, they were flying around. They were hard hitting. There's a couple of times where I know Kobe Bryant was trying to go for a big hit, kind of missed, gave up some extra yardage, which happens, but this is a, this is a team where it's it's now what do we always say we're like just give us a confident enough defense to let the Kansas offense shine and not let people stay in it and that's what we got they uh they completely shut UCF out uh in the first half literally it was the first time since 2015 that they'd been shut out for a half uh and it was really once the game was out of the out of reach you know that McLean was able to kind of throw the ball around a little bit more break up some big plays but every single level there was no real weakness that i saw now it's tough when you're starting quarterbacks hobbling around on one leg and then you get the backup come back in who is a sophomore just hasn't really been in there that much but they were getting pressure on the quarterback they were again the the run game outside of it seems like this defense kind of gives up one big chunk run play a game at least but overall over the course of a game it was solid and then the secondary continues to to make plays, even if they weren't interceptions, they were they were really kind of bogging down on on those receivers. And so overall, this is what you want. This is what you need from the defense. Give us a a B or an A performance, uh, and and hold a team to low twenty points, and this offense is going to do enough to win most of those games. 
Yeah, the the other thing that really kind of jumped out to me is just the number of individual tackles there were. Typically, Kansas has been successful by swarming a bunch of guys to the def- to the offensive player. Um, you know, getting to the ball with a bunch of guys and and an entire group bringing them down. But you know, of the fifty one tackles that Kansas had in this game, forty five of them were solo tackles, meaning the guys were making really good open field tackles. You had guys hitting people at the point of attack. There wasn't a lot of reactionary, oh, I've got to go down the field and I've got three different guys that are, you know, there to to stop a guy after the big play. There was a lot of hitting guys at the line of scrimmage, hitting them behind the line of scrimmage, doing a lot of things that were going to allow, you know, um, or prevent big individual plays from the UCF side. So you talk about Taiwan Berryhill, he had one sack. He led the team with eight tackles, seven of those by himself. The only other tackle... Um, the one that he shared was a tackle for loss with Rich Miller, you know, so like on a running back in the, in the flat, I believe it was, you know, so Kansas had guys that were flying all over the place. Jason Gilliam had a big sack. Um, you know, you had Patrick Joyner with a big sack. Like you had a bunch of the, the second stringers and third stringers in there making big plays as well, which I think that's the other thing to keep in mind is they got to the second half. They started rotating in a lot of the second and third string guys that they don't normally rotate in at that point. And that's when you saw UCF start to get those yards. So this is one of those, it looks just like we talked about last week, you know, how the number of yards they gave up looked really bad against Texas, but you could, you know, kind of explain it based on the offense. I think this one is in a similar situation where UCF got like 400 yards, but it's because they had the second stringers in, Um, you know, they got to that. The offense was playing so well and the defense was playing so well that they were able to bring in a lot of the backups and UCF was finally able to find some success, but it was nowhere near enough. Yeah, and the only downside on the defense was injuries, especially in that fourth quarter. Hayden Hatcher goes down. Robinson went down for a little bit. I think I just saw that neither of them practiced today. Hatcher, I know, I think it was a shoulder. He was, it looked Correct. like he was in sort of like sling or something uh, on the sidelines. And so, yeah, honestly, so, so he, he came off the, the field. Right. He came off of the field and immediately it looked, it looked very similar to the way that, that Jalen Daniels was holding his arm after his collarbone broke last year or injured or whatever. Um, so I'm I'm afraid they're going to be without Hatcher for probably at least a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, I actually I also know that my kids were by the uh, were by the locker room after the game, and Hayden Hatcher came out, and his arm was in a sling, and you know it had been recently iced up, and he and and I quote uh, was just being a big baby apparently with the sling on his arm. So whether it was precautionary or there is something else going on that's going to keep him out a couple of weeks, I'm not really sure. But it doesn't yeah. seem like it's a season ending type of thing. It's probably just a small bump of the road. And what we found is that Kansas has enough guys. Like, you look at the stats. Hayden Hatcher had not put up a huge stat line this year. But he was definitely providing a lot of pressure and setting other players up. So he is going to be missed if he's not in the in there. But it's also they have so many other playmakers across that defensive line that it's not like they can't replace him. I will be worried if Jeremy Robinson is also out uh, because then you're yeah. losing two big guys that have done a lot for this team. Um, but... Yeah, I don't think it's going to be long-term for either of those. And I think going down to Oklahoma State, you can probably afford to have to run some of your second stringers for a good portion of that game because I still don't believe that Alan Bowman is as good of a quarterback as he's shown the last couple of weeks. So we'll, yeah, we'll get that was to really – the That's the only really downside you could say from the defense was just – right. the game we ended after three quarters, that would have been a perfect performance on both sides of the ball. The fourth quarter got kind of ugly and there were some injuries. But for three quarters, that was about as good as you could play. Yep, and then the final thing, of course, from this game is just penalties. Um, Kansas only committed two for 20 yards. Um, so it was a very clean game from them. And and look, UCF had five penalties for 40 yards, but three of those were false start penalties in situations where Kansas probably was going to stop them anyway. It was like third and eight and moved it to a third and 13. 
you know, or other instances where like there was the, uh, there was the holding penalty. I believe it was, um, against UCF that brought them back, but it was on that last gasp in the second, in, in the first half trying to score when they were already on their own, like 20 yard line or something like that. So again, penalties that went against UCF, but didn't have huge swings in the game and really just kind of reinforced that Kansas was there and really kind of bringing that a game. And of course, Something that always brings the A-game would be our sponsor here on the podcast, Charlie Hustle. The Charlie Hustle Clothing Company is a Kansas City-based vintage collegiate apparel company. Has a ton of fantastic stuff, and they want you to be the best-dressed fan this season. They have over 30 different schools, including all of the Big 12 except for Cincinnati. They also have Colorado, who's coming in next year. And they're still working on all the rest of them, but they are a Big 12-focused company um, that works really well with the Big 12. And we are happy to have them as a sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast Network. If you use promo code 101215, that's T-E-N-1215, over at charliehustle.com, you can get 15% off of all non-sale items. That's not a one-time code. That's a whenever-you-want code. Um, I'm sure you're going to have plenty of people that are going to want stuff from different teams that are covered by Charlie Hustle. So you can use that for Christmas shopping. You can use that for everything coming up. But charliehustle.com, promo code 101215. They have a bunch of stuff, and we are still pulling together the results for the winner of the giveaway from the UCF KU uh, t-shirt giveaway. We'll be announcing that on Twitter here shortly, but man, it's a lot of great stuff. They have so many great things. The football tee or the football helmet tees that they came out with at the beginning of the year are absolutely phenomenal. Really excited to get one, get the one of those into the hands of a Kansas fan, but uh, charliehustle.com promo code 10, 12, 15 Charlie hustle vintage made fresh. All right. I do want to jump over kind of talk about the big 12 as a whole really quick. And then look ahead to Oklahoma State. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. I'm here with Kyle Davis, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, we are talking obviously about this Kansas team that is now five and one. Again, um, we just got done talking about the UCF game. I don't want to break anything else down from there, but I am curious. Kansas five and one for the second time in two seasons. They look like outside of Oklahoma and Texas, probably the best team in the Big Twelve right now, which is a little weird, uh, you know, coming to this point, but. You know, do you think this is more a sign of how far Kansas has come or a sign of how difficult it's been for the rest of the Big 12 this year? I think it's both. I think it's I think it's well, this is the you know, this is also the first first year where um, we don't have the the completely balanced schedules. And so it's still you know, I know this is something that every other conference is just used to. But the Big 12, one of the great things that. It's been over the past decade, as you can say, hey, this is your true best teams because literally everyone goes heads to head and and here are the results. But I do think that, you know, obviously it's a down time right now. You know, TCU is not as good as it was before. Iowa State's been struggling. K-State is clearly not what it was uh, a couple years ago. But it's also that, I mean, Kansas is really good again, and this is not a fluke. And if you look at some of the teams that played like um, – you know, I, I think you can look at Oklahoma State and even where they are, and they just they, they have three wins. But outside of Friday night, they were not impressive. It was Central Arkansas, and it was one in five Arizona State, and even West Virginia. You know, yes, they they lost to Penn State. They they beat Pittsburgh. Okay, that's all right. And they played Texas Tech and TCU. Texas Tech looks better now that they're a little healthier. I know there's been this is also a weird one to figure out so far through about five weeks because. There's been so many quarter injuries at quarterback and key players. I mean, like Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, obviously Kansas. Like there's been so many guys who have been having to shuffle in quarterbacks. Uh, UCF is one of them. I, it seems like half, half the league has been struggling with really bad injuries, which also makes it tough. But 
you have to look at KU spot and feel really good about where it's at in terms of the the conference moving forward and just the you know the potential of, of what you have here. West Virginia still has to play Oklahoma. They, they missed Texas outright. Um, Oklahoma has a pretty favorable schedule up to this point. So I don't know, you know, Kansas, I think you still have to consider them as maybe a, a contender to make the Big 12 championship game. Even if it doesn't, you look at the schedule now and where the Big 12 and how things have, have shaped up maybe compared to where we thought certain teams were going to be at the beginning of the year. Like if you, you know, where you thought obviously K-State and some of the others that you still have left to play and Kansas is probably going to be favored and should be favored in all, but the, the Oklahoma game, maybe the K-State game is kind of a, a pick them, but you might get a little bit of a home field advantage there. But yeah, the, the, the big 12 is wide open. And honestly, even more than this year, when you look at the two best teams right now are leaving after next year, the, the Big 12 is wide open for next year, too, and the year after that. I mean, if Lance Leipold can get this thing going, it, it's it's going to be up there for a while because, yeah, West Virginia's 2-0 in the conference, but, you know, they have played Texas Tech and TCU. It's not really a huge uh, point. They still have to play. They still have to play BYU. They have to play Oklahoma. They have to play Baylor. So I'd be surprised if they, you know, that might be a little bit of uh, fluky scheduling to this point. Texas Tech is a dangerous team, but they they just lost so much early in the year that I don't I think that's going to be hard for them to come back. And they still have Texas and KU and K State, so that's really tough. So, yeah, the, this is a it's a wonky year in the Big Twelve, but also Kansas is taking full advantage, and it's also just a testament to I think we're not used to it uh, to this point to where we're still kind of like oh did something weird happen that KU is up here, but no, it's also just that they like we I mean you watch as much Big Twelve football as anybody I, I watch as much as I can. You look at these teams and it's like, wait a second, that's not anything fluky. It's just like Kansas is good. They have a roster and they have a scheme and they have the the overall just program now to say they can compete with basically anybody in this league outside of maybe Texas and Oklahoma from an NFL power standpoint. Um, but they, they should be right there in there. And I don't know why you would rule out anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those where like Kansas is the best. I think they're the best uh, option left, right, for keeping Oklahoma and Texas out of the the uh, out of Arlington together. So, you know, like Oklahoma has to come to KU. If this is the KU team, the one that played against UCF is the one that shows up against Oklahoma. It is going to be a close game. It's going to be a very entertaining game, and Kansas has a shot to pull it out. I think as of right now, no matter what, you still have to think that Oklahoma is going to be the favorite in that game after what they did to Texas, but. This is not a Kansas team that fluked their way into some big wins early. Last year, you might have thought that they got, you know, very lucky with the schedule. And this year, you probably could have made that argument up until probably a couple weeks ago. But, you know, the way that they beat UCF, just super dominant. The way that they beat, uh, you know, BYU was pretty dominant as well. And then you go on the road with some really weird circumstances against Texas. Like, this is a Kansas team that had one weird game due to injury issues. Other than that, they've been a very solid, very good team. And they've been beating people convincingly over the course of the year like you expect a good team to do. I am surprised that Kansas State is not as good this year as, you know, as I was expecting them to be. West Virginia is a big surprise on the in the opposite direction. I thought they were going to be absolutely horrible this year. And, and they're, you know, that defense is legit. I'm glad that Kansas does not have to play them because while I think that Kansas could still beat them, I, I'm just glad that, you know, if we're going to miss someone, at least we missed one of the top teams in the big 12 right now, but you're right. Like the rest of this big 12 is struggling. 
and it puts Kansas in a good position moving forward, assuming that they can keep that development going and assuming that they can continue to be a good team after this year. But, you know, I'm looking at bowl projections and I'm seeing, you know, like Kansas being projected to the Alamo Bowl to play USC. Like I'm seeing a lot of really good projections for this team, which is not something I'm used to. Um, but it's, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine Kansas falling out of the top four. Um, you know, you, you have to think they're going to be favored in basically every game except for that Oklahoma game moving forward. I don't know how you would say that they're favored or that they're not favored against Texas Tech or Kansas State at home. Going on the road to Cincinnati, Cincinnati's been having a bunch of issues and I don't understand how Cincinnati was favored, um, you know, in their game this week coming up, but like, I think we get to the end of the year and it's going to be a completely different story. And I think Kansas should be favored there, you know, and then they, and then they, you know, after they go to Oklahoma state this weekend where they are favored right now, we'll, we'll see if it stays that way. You go to Iowa state, which look, Iowa state played really well against TCU. They looked pretty good, but it is TCU who's been struggling quite a bit this year. And it was a very important game for them. Um, you know, the whole, we will game, the Jack Trice game. Um, so like there was kind of a juice there that I don't think that they're going to be able to replicate and Gans going to go up there pretty hungry for that game because of what happened the last time that they were up in Ames. Yeah. And I mean, if you, you have six games left again, you're probably going to be favored in all, but maybe the Oklahoma game, but even say, let's say you drop two of them. That's still nine and three. That's still a level that we're just not used to. And and a lot of people like I, I had eight and four going into the year. I might've been, I looks like I might've been underselling this team. So it's, it's incredible when you think about that, just how far it come, how fast and, and, that it, it almost, yeah, you have to stop and, and remind yourself, no, this is the new reality as of right now. And there's a, why not, you know, it's kind of like the, why not us? You look at them there's, you know, you can't say Oklahoma state is better than them right now. You can't say Iowa state is better than them right now. Cincinnati, definitely not. Texas tech is playing better, but as a team right now, no. And so, yeah, you, you look at it. There's a lot of winnable games. Now weird stuff happens. It's college football. Who knows what's going to, and there's been a weird, lot of weird stuff in the big 12 already, but you know, I think it, it you know, if I told you, you can either, I will give you four and two over the next six, or you can ride it out. Probably at the beginning of the year, it would be like, give me four and two all, all day long, nine and three. Now, I don't know. What would you say? Four and two or ride it out? Which one Oh, I, I would say ride it out because, yeah. I mean, I think that you can go in. I think one's a real possibility. Right, you can expect them to go five and one. And, you know, like, I think that's the expectation moving forward with the way the team's been playing. Obviously, more injuries could be an issue if Hayden Hatcher's out for a really long time. That could be a problem. But you look at these teams right now and what they've been able to do, and there's no reason Kansas shouldn't be 10-2 and two at the end of the year. And if they manage to upset Oklahoma, then maybe they go 11-1 and one and they find their way in Arlington. Like, this is – there's a huge ceiling for, uh, up at the top for this team. And, look, I had them at 9-3 and three at the end of the year, and I thought, you know, you're going to lose probably either, either the Texas Tech or the Kansas State game at home. You're going to lose the Oklahoma game probably – um, you know, you might lose or you're, you're going to probably lose that Texas game, but like you could potentially beat Oklahoma and drop like to Oklahoma state or drop to Iowa State or some, something like that. But this is a team that is a lot better than even I thought that they would be this year, which is saying something. Cause I am, I've been told way too many times that I am way too high on this team. And you know, it actually turns out that I probably wasn't high enough. Um, and so I'm looking forward to the rest of this uh, brief look ahead to Oklahoma state. What is it that worries you the most about this team going into this game before you, of course, do your deep dive over at blue wings rising? Yeah. It, it, well, I, I think Kansas is going to be able to run on them. I think. Um, and I still, I'm like you, I, I see more opportunities than I see danger in this game. Uh, you know, Alan Bowman, he's not completing a lot of, he's not efficient. And I think, 
you know, if you, you see the score from the K-State game, it's kind of eye-popping. If you actually like look at it and if you watched it, I mean, Oklahoma State only had one offensive touchdown. They got a, they got a pick six and then they had a ton of field goals. And obviously K-State gave it the ball to them, you know, three times on, on, um, on interceptions in, you know, Oklahoma State didn't turn the ball over. I guess that's one thing that you say with Oklahoma State is they've been really good at not giving the ball away. Uh, they only average a turnover a game. Now they also don't take the ball away a lot. The the K-State game was by far a, the bigger kind of anomaly in terms of the Oklahoma State defense forcing turnovers. But there's there's real opportunity here. I mean, even K-State had, a you know, 200 plus yards on the ground. Oklahoma State's giving up 154 a game. I just don't trust the passing attack. Now, Ollie Gordon has been really good, the running back for Oklahoma State, and has a chance to um, to put up some decent numbers. He's averaging you know more than six yards a carry. He had a good game against K-State. But this seems like a game where if KU loses, it's because they have beaten themselves more than, you know, maybe now maybe Bowman just comes in and throws for 300 yards and four touchdowns and, and completes 70% of his passes. We just haven't seen it yet. And I'm, and I'm not sure we're going to see it if the Kansas defense can play like it has been uh, because again, like they, they won by eight, but man, K-State had to completely give that away as many chances as they could for that to even happen. And it's not like you know, Oklahoma state, again, they, they put up 29 points. They only had one offensive touchdown. So there's, it that one, I hate to say it feels a little fool's goldie, but it does. I, I think, you know, obviously at home, Oklahoma State has a great um, environment, uh, you know, at, at Stillwater there. So that's obviously a factor. But I think if you're Kotonecki and you look at the Oklahoma State defense, you see a lot of opportunities, even if Daniels can't play, to really take advantage and put some points on the board. Well, and it was I a great win. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it was a great win for Oklahoma State, no doubt. But I think the big, sure. the bigger takeaway that I had from that game is like, what the heck is wrong with Kansas State? Because they're turning the ball over quite a bit. Their defense is nowhere near as good as it has been. I mean, they gave up tons of yards to UCF. UCF was in that game against Kansas State until the like middle of the fourth quarter when DJ Giddens finally put the, you know, the kibosh on, on the rest of the game. Um, Kansas State just does not look like the same team. Will Howard had over a hundred yards rushing, but that's really just because, you know, he was scrambling so much and turning, turning those into big gains. But, that bodes well for the Jayhawks because Bean can do that similar sort of thing. And they have such good misdirection on the, like, I think the big, the big difference is that K State has basically one guy in DJ Giddens, right? Like, Treshawn Ward runs the ball for them somewhat well, but they really have like one workhorse and then some other backup guys. Kansas has two workhorses and then a half a workhorse in, in Dylan McDuffie who gets in there when he can. Kansas has a lot more options, is going to be able to confuse, I think what Oklahoma State's trying to do defensively. And then you looked at that defense, that defense from K-State, they just weren't getting any pressure. They weren't really doing much. They they allowed Alan Bowman a lot of time, and he still only completed 54% of his passes. That's not going to happen against KU. Um, you know, if, if Jason Bean gets time, he's going to complete passes, or they're going to use that misdirection to get where they need to be. This is, I just think, a can't, or I'm sorry, and, and, going the other direction because that's actually what I was talking about and I flipped it all of a sudden. But, I mean, Kansas is going to bring a, a bunch of pressure on Bowman. He is not going to have time to just sit back there and look, you know, and scan the field and try to find someone. So I am looking forward to this game. I believe this is going to be another one where, you know, you're going to erase a lot of doubts with the way that you're able to play this game. Yeah, to put it in perspective, Jason Bean has attempted 61 passes this year and thrown four touchdowns. All three Oklahoma State quarterbacks who have played have attempted 198 passes this year and have five touchdowns. 
So that's ridiculous. It's just not been the, the attack is just not there from an Oklahoma State standpoint. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up for the day. Just final thoughts. Uh, late night was on Friday. Um, I know that you watched some of the scrimmages. I went back and watched them afterwards, and I was not thoroughly impressed with the play, but it's also a I, The most entertaining part was Bill getting so mad on the broadcast right. and yelling at Q to call a timeout because, and to, to rip their beeps. Uh, and, yeah, that it was not – they were not necessarily taking it seriously. Um, so there's not a whole lot of analysis I think you can probably take out of that one. Right. The only thing that really – hit me was it's good to have basketball season back. I'm so looking forward to the start of basketball season, even with this phenomenal football season happening. So it's going to be weird having two great teams to cover on campus. I'm sorry, three great teams because Kansas women were picked third in the, in the uh, media poll. I'm sorry, in the, in the coaches poll coming into the big 12. So the expectation is you're going to have three good fall sport teams. Um, well, winner for, for basketball, but you're going to have two good basketball teams, a good football team, Soccer has been struggling, unfortunately, but the volleyball team is still ranked and really good. Like there is a lot of really good sports going on right now at the, at the university of Kansas. So if you haven't had an opportunity to go find them and go watch them and and support them in person. I highly recommend you do it with any of those teams because it's all worth it. Um, I have yet to be to a game for any of those four teams and regret it actually being there. So, all right, Kyle, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think we covered it. I'm uh, I'm excited for Saturday. This should uh, be a good one, and hopefully you can get a win. And if you get your bye week, everyone rested, you might have game day for Oklahoma and homecoming on the 28th, which would be huge. Oh, that would be awesome. awesome. Go and take care of business. Heck yeah. All right, well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you have not already, please do go out where, where you get your podcast, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasting. Subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out if you can give us a rating and review five stars nice comments would be absolutely fantastic but if for whatever reason you can't do that just let us know what it is that we can be doing better we really do bring the podcast to you guys get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible so if you have any comments questions suggestions people you want to try to interview anything like that contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on twitter at rockchalkpod we are of course part of the 10 12 podcast network covering all the teams in the big 12 conference um including the new ones coming in, but uh, go to 1012network.com to get links to all the great shows that we have. And of course you can support us or, and any podcast on the network by going to patreon.com slash 1012 network, get some great exclusive content over there as well. Um, make sure that you guys visit our sponsors, uh, prize picks, and then uh, Charlie hustle company, great deals you can get with them, but that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast. Podcast Network.